Thank you, guys. Give the praise team a big hand. Man, they're, they do an awesome job. Appreciate them so much. Well, I, you know, I can't hardly believe it, but it was uh, May 1979 when I graduated from uh, Coronado High School in Lubbock, Texas. Zane, that's been 40 years ago. Wow, man. Dude, do I feel old. Not really. I'm feeling pretty good, to tell you the truth, man. And uh, I, I look back, Gary, uh, 40 years ago when I graduated high school, uh, 619 in that graduating class. And when we all went across the stage, we had a penny in our hand. And when we shook the principal's hand, we gave him the penny. So he had 619 pennies. They were in his pockets and all over the floor by the end of that graduation. You know, I, th I think back on, on those days, seems almost like yesterday, uh, but what I wanted uh, most in life was a 1979 black Trans Am because, I mean, that, that was the cool car to drive, right? And all of us guys were in love with Farrah Fawcett. I mean, uh, you know, that was the day. But, but I look at the problems we had, and, man, I'm, life was full of problems in 1979. Teens were under a great deal of pressure. You know what? That hasn't changed one bit because our teens are still under a great deal of pressure, probably more so than we as parents or grandparents can even imagine. Therefore, I am so thankful for churches like Kavanaugh Church that invest so much in our young people. I can tell you this, when I was growing up in Midland, Texas, I wish that I would have had a children's pastor like Brother Johnny Miller. Isn't Johnny the best? I mean, I just, I love the man, and he is so good to our kids. And then in Lubbock, Texas, when I was in high school, I would have given anything to have had a youth pastor as cool as Brother Nathan. Man, I wish I would have had, but we didn't, we didn't have a children's pastor, we didn't have a youth pastor. I'm glad today at Kavanaugh Church that we have great children's pastor and a great youth pastor. They do such a magnificent job. And then when they promote up to merge, uh, Devin is there to, to role model for them. And I'm so thankful for the ministry we have with our young people. Well, this is graduation Sunday. And as I did last year, I asked Brother Nathan to come and preach. And he's going to do that right now. Y'all give Nathan a big round of applause as he comes. And let me tell you. Nathan is dressed up today. Look at his shoes. He, he's actually wearing real shoes, all right? Man, that's awesome, yeah. dude. Bless Thanks, you, buddy. Dude. Love you, man. Zane, my shoes are from Express. Oh, yeah. It's for the, the slim fit guys like me, that kind of clothing store. So, But, man, I'm so excited. I started, my wife can attest to this, I started trying to prepare for this outfit yesterday right after the storm hit. So I was like in the bathroom mirror, I went out to the garage, got another one, I had different angles throughout the house, and Jed kept getting in the way, it was ridiculous, but I was preparing for this moment. Um, it's, it's not necessarily for you, it's for me, because uh, I was informed a couple weeks ago that when we go to Puerto Rico on our mission trip, we just can't wear flip-flops. Come on. I, I went out of my way to get flip-flops the same colors that they have on their flags, so I was trying to be respectful and everything, but... Just didn't work out. Anyways, but man, I am, I am so honored and pumped to be able to speak here this morning to you guys. Thank you again, Brother Will, for this opportunity. Um, I, I, I love uh, this time of year because I get to see um, these, these teenagers and, and college students kind of just go on to that next level. It's kind of cool to see that because 
they have no idea what's coming for them. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the day they graduate high school, I think that's like taxes. It's, that's, it's about that time now, and uh, start to adult, adulting, that kind of thing. It's really cool to see. And uh, the, the, the overwhelming amount of prayer that I've had for this, this particular group of students this year um, has been off the chain. I have been to several of their graduations now. I have teared up um, as they've walked across the stage. Um, and I have been, I'm just so ready to see how God is going to use them as they uh, go on in their life. Um, my senior year, I didn't have a, a lot of confidence in myself and to see the kind of confidence that they have and the academic careers that they have already uh, placed down is just fantastic. And I know that they're going to do well. My senior year was full of bad decisions. <laughs> All right. Um, last year, I, I've been told so many times, like, Nathan, the pig story was great from last year. Remember, I kind of shared a story, one of my senior pranks. I, it was ag day, and I stole two, uh, two pigs from the agricultural department, and I sharpied one and the number one and number three on their sides, and I dipped oil and grease all over them so they couldn't be caught easily and set them loose in the school and put the school on lockdown for about an hour because they were trying to find pig number two that never existed. Um, but a lot of people have been like, man, that story was so awesome. Do you got another one? I'm like, I do, but I don't want to get fired. One. And secondly, there are some stories that we're not at that level yet. So maybe next year, if, I, if I'm given the opportunity, I'll, I'll share some of the hospital ones. But, but I got one for you this morning. You ready? I went to four proms my senior year. How many of you at least went to two proms your senior year? Three? Four? Yeah. The babes were like, wow, we got to take you. <laughs> I'm just kidding, babe. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> my wife wasn't here during first service, so this isn't going to be as easy of a story. So, <laughs> uh, anyways, it's not about the girls. It's just about my props and my popularity. That's what it was all about. Well, when two days before the, the fourth prom, I, I went to my mom and dad in the morning right before school. I said, Mom, Dad, I need money. I need money. And dad was like, no, you're not going to prom again. And if you're going to, you're going to have to come up with your own cash. And I was like, mom, please. And they're like, no, that's what your dad said. And so my mom still slipped me some cash. It was fine. Perfect. But it wasn't enough. And I needed to buy my prom date a corsage. All right. Corsage, little flower things uh, go on the wrist. So I needed money. So I went to school complaining, like, my dad's not being fair. You know, he's paid for three proms. He won't pay for the fourth one. I need cash. I need cash. I need 25 bucks. And one of the guys next to me, the couple lockers down, was like, hey, do you have any animals? I'm like, I ain't no farmer, but I at least got a cat. So, and, uh, so uh, the, the family cat, that is, it's not necessarily mine. And it wasn't necessarily the family's. It was my sister's. All right, but I said, "Yeah, I have a cat. I can give you twenty-five bucks." And he said, "Deal." Shook it, shook hands on it, gave me twenty-five bucks, and I gave him the cat without my family or her sister knowing. And prom was awesome. My date loved her flowers. It was gr it was awesome. It was the wrong color, but it, who cares? And um, that next Monday morning, when I got to school, uh, he came up to me. He's like, "Dude, I got to show you something after school. Will you come by?" And so after track practice, I ran to his house. Literally ran to his house because then my house is two miles down the road. I just ran home every day. And um, he pulled up his garage. Now, before I get to the next part, imagine you you've all seen cats stretched before. They kind of put their hands 
out like this, their butts up in the air, their tails straight up, that kind of thing. So I, he pulled the garage door open, and I saw my sister's cat, whom she named Maxine after my great aunt, and yes, she's still alive. Um, I don't know how. Anyway, so she, Maxine is stretching on the table. I'm like, okay, cool, Maxine. I went to walk towards her, and then I noticed she wasn't moving. He taxidermied her. Yes, yes, he killed my sister's cat and taxidermied her right there just for practice. And I don't know, like, and the thing is, Maxine was his first and last subject. Like, it was like, oh, this, I wasn't very good, so done with this. And he ended up opening a tattoo shop, and those aren't good either. Anyway, so the thing is, though, he taxidermied my cat. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this can never, ever leave this garage. And he says, okay. And so a month goes by. And a month or two goes by, and I remember coming home because my senior summer, I worked in a foundry all summer, um, and it was awesome. And I remember coming home after taking a shower, lay down on the couch with a paper plate full of pizza rolls and, um, and a large two-liter Pepsi, and I was just watching CSI Miami. I love that show. Any CSI Miami fans? Yeah, some of you don't know what that is. Okay, all right. Well, anyways, the lead investigator was Horatio, and he had some swagger that I always coveted, okay? It was amazing. So I remember as I was watching that episode, my mom comes into the garage door because she's out mowing, screaming and crying. Maxine, Maxine, I have found Maxine. And I was like, oh no, she didn't. <laughs> and so I went out to where she thought Maxine was, and sure enough, there was something there. It wasn't Maxine, but my mom, no comment. She thought it was. And she was mowing the other side of the country road. So I don't know why, she, you know, it was weird. And it was clearly roadkill, but it was not Maxine. It was a raccoon or something very furry, or not, not as furry as what it could have been, but it was there. And I said, oh, Maxine, glad we have some closure on this one. <laughs> so I went with it. We buried that item, that thing, behind our pool barn, <laughs> and for about six or seven years, my family thought Maxine's resting in peace back there, <laughs> until my wife ratted me out. It was our, within our first year of marriage, so I guess she could get away with it. I don't know what she was thinking. My parents had brought me, like, all these newspapers that my mom collected from, like, 9-11, like, three or four baby shoes that I used to wear that would never, ever meet today's fashion standards, and a, a several wanted posters that I had made when I was in the sixth grade of a cat that I lost. His name was Peyton, which was Maxine's brother. And she lost it. She's like, you have to tell them. There's no way you're, she's giving you these memories. So she ratted me out right there. And I was like, you guys can never tell Krista. My mom and dad thought it was hilarious. And I thought I was going to get scolded because I openly lied to my mom and dad. And I would have done it again because I was afraid for my life. And uh, so a couple years go by. And then I don't know how it was brought up, but it was Christmas time. And my sister was told. And she was so mad. I knew she was trying to contain it because all the kids were there. And she made me pay her back $25 worth of movie tickets. <laughs> so I think she bought The Greatest Showman. Anyways, anyways, there's my story. I taxidermied my cat for prom money. Any of you juniors, juniors out there, I, it, it gets you money So for next year. All right.
let's get to the actual substance of why we're here today. I'm so, again, thankful for this opportunity to preach uh, this truth today uh, to these graduates. I was going back, uh, you know, I was really praying about what I was going to be preaching. And so I decided, and I, I felt God tugged on my heart to just kind of go back over some of the lessons that I had taught over the last couple years to this particular group that they would have heard from me up in Blaze. And uh, so what I did was I, grabbed, I went through a couple old lessons and I grabbed out some of the things that really meant a lot to me as I was preaching them. And I really want to kind of reiterate a little bit today because I think they're important. So a couple of those lessons. And one of those lessons is this. One, that you know the truth that you have been taught here in this church. And not only do you just know it, you live it and you hold it close to your heart. This is the truth that you've been taught here, and it's the gospel, it's the, it's the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 states this, a description of the gospel message. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And later on in his second uh, epistle towards the Corinth church, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is eagerness here. He wants this church to know, hold fast to this truth that I have preached to you. Um, just like what Paul did with this church and uh, teaching what was the most important thing. I believe we as staff and here in this church, if you're a Sunday school teacher and involved in any sort of way of ministry, getting that gospel message to the people that are under us is super important to us. And we want them to know that. It's not just something that they just... We want them just to know while they're here, but it's something that we know is, should be the very foundation of their lives. Everything in their lives will stem or should stem from this basic truth. And I believe Paul wanted this, this church and this truth to be known, and I want that to be known amongst our graduates today. You will never, ever experience a day where you will not be in need of the gospel. Every single day when you wake up, you will depend on this word. So know it, live it, and hold on to it tight. Because again, like I said, there's a little bit of warning here. As I read it, that's kind of just what I get. An emphasis on eagerness of knowing and holding on to the truth. If you hold fast. And I think maybe part of the reason why he's saying this is because he knows the enemy. He knows what the devil can do. Uh, he will do anything to decrease our trust in this truth as much as possible. I mean, he will do it in big portions. He may hit, uh, blindside you with a huge event in your life, a big crisis, or he will gradually chip away at it and you not even have a clue he is doing it. He will do that. And I believe, I stay on the stage believing today that you just can't simply lose your salvation, but I believe the devil can manipulate your mind through a bunch of garbage. There's my New York garbage, uh, you know, word. Just right, throw so much right in your life that you, he will convince you to walk away from the truth. I believe that. We lose our cell phones, we lose our keys. I do those, I lose those very frequently. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a blatant walk away because the devil and this world will toss so much stuff at us that we will find this most important truth silly. And we just have to be careful. 
But speaking of the world and our culture and our society, it has many views as well. And it will toss very many different ulterior uh, ideas at you. You're going to be met with different ideas, students. You will. You're going to go to college. You're going to be going out into the workforce. You are going to be presented with lots and lots and lots of different ideas. And here's what I have to say to you. That's okay. Just be ready. That's why it's so important that we have always emphasized that you dive into the word and you really study and you know this and you let this be concrete in your life. Don't let this, don't just think that the little you version verse of the day pop-up notification is going to be good enough for you. It's not. Dive in more than Sundays, more than Wednesdays, because me, Brother Will, Jason, Johnny, Devin, whoever, we can't teach enough on those two days alone out of the week, the, the amount of stuff that you need to know. That's why Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Saturday is so important that you make time and build habits to get in the word. So never. So here's what I want you to say. Of all the ideas and all the different philosophies and the different truths that this world is going to toss at you, I never ever want you to think that when it comes to your decision making on what is right and wrong, that you have to be rushed by anybody to just to simply accept anything that anyone says. You don't have to be rushed. This world will expect you to say, whoa, we did all the research. We know. We've got degrees. We, we know all the behind the scenes. Just simply accept what we say. And I say, hold up. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that, especially on, on big issues like what's right and wrong. You don't have to do that. And our culture has fed a, a, a monster about believing in it with, with just your feelings and not really thinking things through. And it, you see it. It's bled into our news stations, into our politicians, your college professors, your coworkers, groups of friends that you've known for years. They, they'll be persuaded just as much as you. The thing is, what is right and what is wrong, you've got to make sure it's true. You've got to make sure it's true, because what is true is totally different to this world, to what our, our worldview in Christianity. You can put any truth claim to test, and I'm going to throw just a little bit here at you, but I want you to understand, you don't have to be rushed. You can investigate. You can do the research. You're going to be presented truth claims here and there, left and right, all the time. And what you need to do is make sure that the facts behind those truths are, make sense, like a lawyer entering into a courtroom. As, as they put all the facts and the crime scenes and the witnesses and the testimonies, everything together, they're putting, getting all these facts. They're making sure all the answers and all the facts are doing two things. One, that they're corresponding with one another. They're compatible with each other. They match up. They all make sense. And then secondly, they're making sure that there's a coherency and synchronicity amongst all of them. That they're actually completing a big picture, kind of like a puzzle. Like you get all the puzzles, all the puzzle pieces lined out, but then you want to make sure that the box is saying what the image is that you're, that you're trying to put together. you got to do that with any truth claim. You can do it with Christianity too, and I offer all the constructive uh, questions about that too, and I, I, would, I would offer to do them the same because it will match up. And then you got to take those facts in that picture and you got to make sure that it's consistent and, and, and adequate and it has some sort of relevance, logical consistency, empirical adequacy, experiential relevance, that there's some sort of application that all these facts can be put to and that it's just not hogwash and just a, a, a make-believe session on, oh, this could work on paper. Just make sure that it, it works entirely. And then, 
you got to make sure that truth claim matches up and is in line with what you know of, of the four basic human questions that every worldview deal with. That is of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where do we come from? What is our meaning in your life? What is truly right and wrong? And what is our destiny as human beings? And what the thing I love about Christianity is, is that when you put the worldview of Christianity and the gospel message and everything that the Bible says. Everything is consistent, everything is perfect, and nothing is out of place when you do that. And guess what? I'm not just saying that because I was told something from a pulpit. I was preached that message, I was told from the pulpit, I was taught, and then I went home and I did the research myself because I had questions that I needed to put through the same ringer. And guess what? God provided all those answers, and I was able to ex ex investigate the truth for what it really is. But make sure that you investigate the truth claims that are going to be thrown your way, because it's not going to be right all the time. The second thing I would tell you graduates and anyone transitioning, any of us in this room, is that your friends and your support groups are so important. And I'm not just saying that and, and making a, saying a cliche statement. I don't want us to pass up this, pass up this too quickly. I, don't, I know a lot of us be like, oh, yeah, duh, we know that. I move on to the next point, or I'll just skip to the next point. No, your friends and your support groups are super important. It is so important that you are surrounded by purpose, a common purpose, and let that purpose be a life in Christ. But seriously... Who's in your corner? Graduates, students, teens, adults, who's in your corner? Parents? I know parents aren't necessarily the most favorite person in the room at times, especially with my teenagers, I know. Um, but if there's, any, if there's two people or a person or someone that loves you and knows you the most, it's them. And um, I believe that they're, they're, they're definitely worth the phone call. They're definitely worth the accountability. They're definitely worth the love because you are not, they're not just there for you. You're there for them as well. And that the value that they have and they see you as, you have to realize that. They love you and they want to take care of you. And high school and moving out is not just the end of that relationship. It's taking them into college and it's taking them all throughout your life and making sure that they know what's going on. Call them. My dad always told me growing up, I'm not going to be your friend. I'm going to be your dad. And because of that, I have an amazing friend of my dad today. Yeah. I do. Your guardians, your grandparents, your brothers and sisters, an uplifting and encouraging friend. Who is in your corner? A pastor, a youth pastor, a children's pastor. Any of us on staff here, we'd love to be in your corner. Who is in your corner? corner because, and I ask that question because the friendships and the relationships that you have will make or break you. It's so important that as you meet people along the way that you are careful on who you allow to influence your life. We're going to be called to be a light and a witness to all kinds of people, but I'm talking about letting them in, educate you, influence your life in major significant ways, who you get advice from and so forth is absolutely critical. Play your cards close to your chest. I'm serious when it comes to that. Our Lord and Savior modeled this very, very closely, too, to the exact same thing. In Mark 14, 32 through 35, in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what that says. And when they went to the place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. Okay, so 
You have Judas that's left the scene. He went off to betray. So you have um, a group of disciples there. But out of the group of disciples, he pulls Peter, James, and John. Okay? He brings them a little bit more closer. And as Jesus is about to um, take on the, the greatest trauma and, and moment of his life, as it says here, he said to, said to Peter, James, and John, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch as he's shaking in the garden, as he's about to bleed blood, as he's about to face one of the most difficult times of his life. He pulled the top three people that he was closest to in, in, while he was on earth and in his ministry, and he says, I need you guys to know what's, what's going on. I need you guys to pray and watch over me as I do it. Anytime in the scriptures you see Peter, James, and John, it's, it's, they're always listed in that way. And I, what I'm about to tell you and, and just kind of like how I, I, I see it, um, it isn't ne- maybe necessarily the intent behind all the authors when they originally wrote this, but it's always Peter, James, and John. Every single time that Jesus is elevated, every time he is uh, glorified, there's a, de- a major development, a transformation. It's always Peter, James, and John in that order documented in all those situations. And this is what I've, I, I've come to realize, that God wants us to be surrounded by people who remind us and encourage us, and encourage us of our ultimate purpose and destination. Peter, for, exen- for example. Jesus renamed him as Peter or Petros. It means a rock broken off of a cliff in the Greek. Or in the Hebrew, it means a tablet or law. Okay, James's name means surplanter or replacement of. And John means the love of God or the grace of God. Catch this. Peter, James, John. The law is going to be replaced by grace. Isn't that what happened on the cross? Isn't that what happened in Jesus' ministry? And he surrounded people, his life with people that were going to remind him that. Law replaced by grace, Peter, James, and John. So you need to do the exact same. Your relationships are so important. Other scripture that, that emphasizes friendships, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and verse 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. It all, in all that he does, he prospers. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's what's really cool about our church, is that we are in life together. It's really cool. And all of us can be an encouragement to one another. It doesn't matter your, old, your age, how old you are, social status, etc., whether you're a smelly middle school teenager or you're an old, old person, prime timer, sorry. You know, it doesn't matter. The thing is, we all have a heart and we all have life experiences and we should be sharing with one another and walking through life together. So don't take advantage and, and for granted of each other as a church. So the relationships here really are, a, are, are can be a guide for what we can be able to look for out in life. And lastly, Proverbs 12, 26, the one who... Uh, is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So it's so important about your relationships and your friendships.
Two more points, and they're the shortest ones I've got. One, the third one is uh, blessing people. As you go out into this world and as you're graduating high school and college, look for every single opportunity to serve and to bless people. You have the, the most amazing gift settled and, and sitting in the throne of your heart. Now it's time to let him work through your life and to bless and to serve people as you meet them. I, I, I broke this down for my teenagers when I gave this lesson. I took the word bless and I broke it down into five uh, little things with each letter. And B, the B stood for begin your day with prayer for them. And I'm talking about people you know, people you don't know people that you know you're going to be sitting next to in the cubicle right there or at the desk next to or at your school or in your college uh, classroom, etc. All the people that you know you're going to run into, start praying that when God, uh, as God goes forward, uh, forth before your day, that he is already preparing opportunities that you can be a light and drop the seeds of the gospel into their lives. Because that, isn't that the biggest blessing they could ever have? So why not start praying for them and, and get, it, get started early, all right? And how about all the people that we don't know? Because you're going to meet amazing people that you've never met before. There's so many. Start preparing for softening of those hearts as well so you can make a big impact in their life. The L stood for listen, listening to other people's lives and stories. One of the greatest things and one of the greatest feelings that we can experience is when we can able when we're able to sit down and just spill our guts to somebody to literally talk somebody whether we're going through a hard time or we just have something exciting to share when we have other people listening to us it feels really 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 good all right how about us being that person that we're sitting across of and we're listening to their stories because let me say people have have it hard sometimes. People are going to need an open ear, uh, someone to listen to them. And I believe uh, uh, being part of blessing people is listening to people's stories and not necessarily critiquing them like, oh, you shouldn't have done this, or let's go back and work on this, or you shouldn't wear this, etc. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just listening to people and letting them open up to us. Thirdly, to enjoy time with people. You're not just doing it, spending time with people out of obligation. You're not doing it because you're getting paid to. You're not just doing it because it's ministry or you've got to, you got to work with that person at, at, or you've got to be part of a project at college or whatever. You're not just spending time. You're actually enjoying time with people. And that feels really good too. When, when people see that you are taking time and you're investing in their life, that feels really good. The, the first S is serving. Serve people. Um, it's probably one of the primary attributes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was described and defined as the suffering servant. He came to serve us. He washed his disciples' feet. He served us as, as, as a God-become-man. And that, that left a major impact. And even today, because of that impact, you and I sit here and we serve and we minister because of what Jesus has done. We need to let Jesus operate our hands and our feet more and, and, and take a knee and serve people. we got to serve people. That may be, you may not necessarily be able to speak the story of the gospel easily, or it may not uh, come right away, but how your hands and your feet and your willingness to use them to help people, uh, that, will get, that will start to open the door, if not kick the door open for people to see the love of Christ in you. So serve them. And lastly, you have a story. 
You have a story to tell. You know, a lot of people won't be open immediately. They're not going to just like dump the entire you know, trash can over right in front of you and be like, here's what, here's what my life amounts to. No, they're going to be uh, reclusive and they're going to withdraw and they're going to you know, want to be able to learn to trust you. One of the cool things that you can do then is to share your story. Because like I said before, we all have experience. We've all been through different trials and different stuff in life, good and bad. So why not share what the Lord has done, good and bad in your life, or how he brought you out of bad and all the good that he's done? Why not share that story with others? That's how you bless people, I truly believe. So praying for people, listening to people, enjoying time with people, serving people, and sharing your story, and letting people know that you're human too. Letting people know that you're human too. And my last point this morning is to chase your dreams whatever they are, but make sure that God's promises and your faith in those promises are the foundation for your dreams. Amen. Chase your dreams, but let the promises of God and your faith in those promises be the very foundations for your dream. And the, the illustration I want to use this morning is an, a little bit of an Old Testament story, one of the best examples, I think, in the, in the scripture in regards to just going for the fences, swinging for the fences, and really getting the most out of the promises of God and, and, and letting God's promises be those dreams. Um, the children of Israel were held captive in Egypt for a very, very long time, and God told Moses, it was time to let my people go. It's time to get those guys out of there. And so God did that. He, he called Moses, and Moses led them out and so forth. And through that journey, Moses, in the beginning, led them right to the foot and the, the door of the promised land, this place of inheritance that God had promised Abraham, all the way back to Abraham. And so I'm going to have a land for you. I'm going to have a place for you. I'm gonna, uh, this is an inheritance. This is a place, a promise. And uh, so what they did was they sent a few scouts in, several scouts. And um, out of all the scouts, two came back positive. The rest of them were like, there's giants there. They have resources. They have fortified cities. We don't even have weapons, that kind of thing. And they're like, how are we going to be able to go? What kind of God would lead us into that junk? But Joshua and Caleb, on the other hand, were like, no, it's going to be fine. We can do it. God's got our back. God can go forth and start laying, laying walls down. And um, because of the, of, of the majority's disbelief in that moment, um, God subject them to wander for about 40 years in the desert, a massive circle. Now, I don't know about you, but there's the blessings that we're told about, and there's often a lot of wondering and waiting at times. And we don't, and sometimes we think that just because God didn't answer immediately that, oh, he's abandoned us or it can't be true. Let me tell you, Joshua and Caleb had to wait 40 years. God promised them that they would eventually uh, make it in, but their entire rest of their generation had to die off in the desert. So there was a lot of waiting. Students, graduates, anyone in this room, you're not going to get everything you want right away. And the things that you want may not be the things that you need, and you may not get those right away either. But let me tell you, God will always keep his word and his promise, and he will get you exactly where he wants you to be. Just keep your faith and trust in him. And time will, time, will, time will serve and show you that it was well worth the wait. It was for Joshua and Caleb because they got, they got dibs on land when it was that time. They were 85-year-old men, and they're like, we want this land over here, you know, all that stuff. They're divvying out all the land to all the, all the, the, the different tribes and everything. And 
um, Caleb comes up to Joshua and he says, you know what? Um, I know I've been waiting for a long time for that really nice stream or that place that I thought would have been a good one for my farm. But uh, see those mountains over there? There's still some giants that need to be slayed. And I know not only are there giants and there are fortifi- more fortified cities and there's going to be more obstacles, and I know I'm an 85-year-old man, but I also know that there's a bigger prize there, and that's blessing. There's more blessing up in the mountains. And let me tell you, I think the faith of Caleb in that moment to pursue after his dreams of making sure that he got the most out of God and he, he aligned his dreams with the promises of God made a massive impact and made a change in his own family. His son-in-law, I believe, ends up becoming one of the major judges that's written about in the next book. And his daughter um, ends up getting believing so much and, and getting some major blessings out of that as well. So let me tell you, your faith in God's promises and how you pursue after your dreams will make an impact. So make sure that God's promises are the foundations. I love you guys. And again, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Graduates, I love you. I'm going to miss you. It's going to be good. I know it's not a goodbye. It's not a funeral. What am I crying for? But, but you know what I'm saying. I miss you, and I just want the best for you. And I, think, uh, I, I thank you for all your, your, your patience and, and all the sermons I preached, all the long sermons I preached. But I just want you to know, as a youth pastor, I wanted to squeeze every single drop of truth I could out of this so that you got the most out of it because I love you. I want the best for you. And uh, I know that you're going to do awesome. And I know that you're, God's got a lot of amazing things that he's going to do in your life. But just hold, hold on to the truth. Hold it tight to, to your, to your, in your life. Make good friends, bless people, and chase after your dreams and the promises of God. Love you guys. Brother Will, it's all you, man.